We are talking once again with Ari Cohn. He is the CEO, founder, and president of the Post-Prison Education Program, and you are listening to the monthly edition of the Post-Prison Education Program radio show. Ari, take it away. Hello. Um, with us, we've got Hannah Bolton, who's a co-worker of mine. Down on my lower left-hand corner, she's the Post-Prison Education Program Director of development policy. And in the upper right-hand corner, Keith Whiteman, who I've known for 372 years. Uh, Keith, you want to introduce yourself? Hannah, you want to introduce yourself? And then we'll start with this conversation. Sure, I can go first. So I'm Hannah, um, Director of Development and Policy at Post-Prison Education Program. Prior to that, um, I did a lot of research on criminal justice and uh, criminal justice reform and punishment. Um, and I'm really excited to, to be with post-prison now. Uh, my name is Keith Whiteman. I am an outreach specialist uh, with the Olympia Police Department, a program called Familiar Faces. Uh, but it's worth mentioning that um, I am not representing the Olympia Police Department on this, uh, on this show. I'm just representing uh, Keith Whiteman. Uh, former graduate of post-prison education program, um, and yeah, someone who's uh, reaped the benefits of, of an awesome program and, a, and an awesome mentor in Ari. So, yeah. So the other day, as some of you may have seen on Facebook, um, I, Emma needed something from downstairs. So all, all of our applicant student files are mostly downstairs and a lot of the, our offices are upstairs. And, and so I went downstairs looking for this file that Emma needed. And, you know, we still got, we've got hundreds of boxes downstairs that aren't unboxed from the last two trucks from the moving company, um, bringing stuff from our old office in Soto. And so it was kind of hit and miss, and I ended up in a box that was really upsetting to me. And um, it was, and I ended up in my hands with with programs and from memorial services and funerals of people that have been students and applicants and coworkers and are near and dear and, and friends. Um, and it really almost took me under, actually. I mean, I had a horrible couple of days. And so, like, here's from Truth Griffith, who was our executive director and uh, is gone. Uh, and I found that. And Audrey Rose Burns, who's such a close friend of so many people, Jenny and I, uh, at the head of the list. And her program from her memorial service was there. And Robert Allman, who Jenny worked with him, talked to him every day for months before he released from prison, hoping that he could overcome addiction and do well. And he didn't make it. Uh, and then the one that really got me thinking about law enforcement was this. And, and I want to start talking about Marcus. And I on my Facebook, I pulled up pictures um, of 
Marcus's daughter running around the chapel at the funeral service with, you know, with no concept of death uh, or that she would never see her father again and just a, a young kid. And it was heartbreaking. And I put 12 pictures of that chapel on my Facebook yesterday afternoon. But I've, I, I, I started thinking about what happened with law enforcement with Marcus and several others and many others. And the fact that, you know, the public, our civil society, almost always thinks that if a former prisoner uh, needs um, an attorney, then, then the former prisoner's in the wrong. And that's just mistaken. That's grossly mistaken. It's proven to not be the case. And I want to talk about historical facts. So um, Marcus died January 1st, New Year's Day, 2011. And um, the previous year, he had been uh, at Edmonds Community College, and he was still in wealth. You know, he... he um, he was going to college. We would see him in our office. And it, it wasn't a struggle for somebody who had a long history of addiction in prison and jail. It wasn't a struggle for him to get his life together, but he was doing it. And a racist police department in Everett. And I, I want to really slam a lot of law enforcement that play particular parts in these people's lives. And so with Marcus, um, he 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 made a mistake of which wasn't a mistake. He parked in a parking lot where um, one or two days before there had been a call from a, a woman to the Olympia Police Department about an attempted car prowl. And so an emphasis on several days earlier was the call about the attempted car prowl. And uh, and then two days later, Marcus, a black man. Right. Uh, and I, I used to tell we tried so hard to get him and less favors and others. And to this day, we try to keep people of color out of Snohomish County because it's a racist. Hater community uh, that I have no respect for and, dis and totally disrespect for lots of reasons. But here's a Marcus, a black man. Come parks in the parking lot where two days earlier there had been a report of a car prowl and he got arrested. And he was arrested by the by the Everett Police Department for for supposedly being the guy that did the car prowl two days earlier. And we called Kim Gordon of Gordon and Saunders, who was a standby for our students for many years. We spent thirty four thousand dollars with Kim's firm. Uh, to push, having her protect um, our students from law enforcement and it's, you know, and I'll just, you know, so and very quickly, Kim found out. Um, and, and another and a, another lawyer who's now a judge found out that prima facie, I think that's a legal term on the face of the arrest report. It was clearly racial racial profiling. Marcus got gobbled up and arrested simply because he was a black male. And he's sitting in the jail. He can't go to class. He can't spend time with his daughter. His whole life and all of his progress is disrupted 
And as, as soon as as soon as the uh, as soon as um, the police report became was examined, um, and the prosecutor's office in in Snohomish County looked at it, they admitted it was racial profiling. On the face of it, they said they had, it was clearly racial profiling, and it was a bad case. And they were pretty quickly willing to file a motion to dismiss the case against Marcus. And just, but then it popped up, there was a felony on the computer system from Pierce County. So like Marcus, in in the last months of his life, he had um, two counties legal systems really wrecking his life. And, And so, Snomish took the attitude like, why should we dismiss the case? Because he's going to stay in jail anyway, because there's a felony hole because of this outstanding warrant uh, in Pierce County. So then Kim Gordon went to work. And as a result, downstairs in Marcus's file, which is about this thick, we have an apology from the superior clerk for the clerk of the Superior Court in Pierce County, an apology, written apology, multi-page apology, admitting there was no felony. The the felony showing up on the computer system was an error. And all in all, Marcus spent, I mean, his progress in college was disrupted. His progress reunited with his little girl was disrupted. Building his life was disrupted. And and, uh, by the time... Uh, many, many, many months later, he finally got free from jail. Every, his life was a shambles. And, um, and, and he relapsed. And on New Year's Day 2011, he died. And, um, and you know, all, all I, I personally, I hold in my mind, law enforcement is responsible for the fact that Marcus's progress rebuilding his life was brought to an end with him being jailed on a racial profiling case um, and then continued to be uh, destroyed and devastated by him being held in jail because of a, a, another law enforcement error, and that was out of Pierce County. And And I invite anybody to come by here. We're, our office is closed to the public because of COVID, but I'm willing to like uh, work out double masking and 14 foot social distancing and maybe ha- let somebody in that I know and trust uh, into our conference room and slide Marcus's file across the table and, and you can read the, the records on, on him. But he's gone. And uh, at his funeral, I watched his little daughter literally dance around uh, and it was heartbreaking. And so... Um, but I guarantee you, when he was sitting in the jail, most members of the voting public and elected uh, civil society had it in their head, you know, black male in jail, you know, he's done something wrong. And the only entities that had done anything wrong were law enforcement in Snohomish um, and, and law enforcement in Pierce. And a, a man's life is over. Um, we um, either met Marcus through less favors, uh, or we met less through Marcus. They were close friends. Um, 
and Les was pretty much like um, like Marcus, uh, black guy, uh, bigger black guy than Marcus. Marcus wasn't a small guy, but Les was bigger. And uh, uh, living um, out north of town, and he was again. He was somebody. He was in our office a lot. This was when we had this little 500 square foot office on the second floor of the central building. And I, I told Hannah the other day we were laughing about it. There were we were. It was such a small office. There were days when it was so crowded. I would have to go home because somebody needed my computer, my desk, and so like Stacy and Nicole would be like. You know, all right, go home. <laughs> we we need your desk. And so, so, but in those days, and there's some wonderful pictures, you know, Les was in the office frequently. And on this, you know, he had gotten into a transition house in a really nice neighborhood um, in uh, Redmond. You know, where, you know, if you're a big black guy in this neighborhood, you stand out like Santa Claus on a on the on the Christmas sleigh with a bunch of reindeers and red noses and tingling bells and stuff. You know, it just it's, it's it was a white, a white, really white neighborhood. And uh, I kept telling less just like I used to tell Marcus, you know, it's illegal to be black in Snohomish County. It's, you know, you shouldn't be in Redmond. What the heck are you doing over here? And. And, but it was a nice neighborhood and he lived in a really great place. And like Marcus, he was getting his life together, had gotten his life together. Actually, it was going to Edmonds Community College. And the thing that happened with 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 Les was. Uh, to get to to get home in Redmond from from Edmonds Community College, he ended up coming downtown. Seattle and changing a bus like within the block where our office was in the central building for 14 years. And so he would pop in and say hello. I mean, just darn near every day he would pop in and he would say hello. Um, and, and to Stacy and Nicole and me and who and Georgina and um, and then he'd pop back down, and get on the bus and head home to Redmond. So on this particular day that I, I want to talk about. Uh, he, he had come by the office and he was all upbeat. School was going well. He's in a, he's in a nice transition house. Um, and he was just, it, it, he was doing great. And we had even, he'd gotten in a nice apartment and, and uh, I mean, when he got into a nice apartment in Linwood, we had bought him a bike. So he even was biking, bicycling. And so every, everything was up, upbeat and, and uh, but he st- stopped in and he said, hello. And, I don't know, maybe an hour later, six o'clock at night, Stacy answered the phone and it was less on the fa- on the phone. He was in jail and he was stunned and he just k- kept saying, and Keith, maybe you can talk here about people with second strikes and explain to everybody what that is. But Les had two strikes and another one would put him away for life. And and he he. When when Stacy transferred his call to me, he just kept saying like a broken record. He was in the disbelief. He, he, he's like life without. He kept saying, all right, life without. I'm facing life without. Um, and um, Keith, you want to you want to talk about two strikes for a minute? And then I'll come back and tell you the rest of what happened and how I got arrested and how the case played out. Well, I mean, I could speak a little bit to that. It, it's uh, it's time stops uh, when when you hear that phrase. Um, 
and, and only somebody who's who sat in a nine by twelve uh, concrete box can can kind of understand uh, what that feels like. A fear a fear grips you like uh, nothing you've ever felt before. Um, if you can imagine being taken away from uh, having your freedom taken away and being taken away from your family, friends, loved ones, and everything you've ever cared about. Um, it's not a good feeling. So I, I, I can totally relate being into like a, a stunned stupor on, um, you know, I, I, I could see myself doing the same thing, uh, in that situation and not being able to think about anything other than the fact, uh, that I'm looking at life without life without. So Washington state has three strikes, uh, law. And so if you, in certain crimes qualify as being a strike and certain ones don't. And, uh, and Les had two strikes. So if he got a third strike, which this arrest that he had that evening constituted, would have constituted, then, then three strikes, you're out and you're going to prison for life. And, um, and so that's why he kept, he was just, he was just, um, he wasn't demoralized. He was like disbelieving because he had done nothing wrong. And so, um, but he just kept saying like Ari life without life, without life, without. And so the defender association used to be on the eighth floor of the central building right above us. And we, we, I knew Flores Mickelson. I knew Bob Ruchowitz. I, I knew Lisa Degard, all the people, Degard people who, were the directors and executive directors of TDA, and I and and I knew the felony supervisor um, was a became a very close friend of mine who unbelievably sadly died from suicide a couple of years ago, and um, and so we we I reached out to TDA and uh, and paved the way for them to get a guy who I felt was one of their very best felony lawyers to represent less. And, and so the initial charge was when, when, when the, so he less left the office that evening, everything's upbeat and he catches the bus to go home and he gets off the bus while he's on the bus. What happened uh, was a guy uh, sold him what less, what he represented to be marijuana. And, 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 uh, and Les gave him $250, I think it was, of his money that he had just gotten out of an ATM. He could prove that it was his money, um, and did prove that. And, um, and then Les figured out that the, the, what was supposed to be marijuana wasn't. And it was, you know, it might have been tobacco or dried grass or who knows, but it wasn't what, it wasn't marijuana. And so Les made the guy give him his $250 back. And so the guy called the police department and claimed that Les had stolen $250 from him as opposed to the truth. And when Les stepped off the bus in Redmond near his transition house, five cops threw, threw him to the ground. I mean, literally, literally threw him to the ground. Uh, and then and they, they put in the police report that Les had used um, 
a box cutter. And I think Keith and I were talking about this the other day. This, if you remember 9-11 and that plane that went down in Pennsylvania, that the kidnappers or whatever, the terrorists, whatever you want to call them, um, that captured that plane, uh, used box cutters. That was the, and, and so there, there was no more hot button word in the world at that time than box cutters. And, uh, and the police put in the police report that, 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 that Les had used a weapon. So that made it be a strikeable offense in the process of stealing this $250, which he hadn't stolen. It was his money from this, this guy. Um, and, and that the weapon was box cutter. And you know, when I, when I came out of prison 130 years ago and worked at RAI in the hiking boot department, I mean, I've, I've, I've used box cutters opening boxes and boxes of hiking boots. They're no joke. They're scary. They're, they're you know, they've got razors and, and, and it's a scary thing. And, uh, but so the police use this really hot button language and said that, that Les had used uh, a box cutter in, in this robbery of $250 from this guy. And, uh, and so then very quickly, Les is in the King County jail. And um, immediately I thought I had a working relationship with Dan Satterberg, the, the King County prosecuting attorney who I found to not always be honest and, and, and to, to just be a pure politician. Um, and pretty much will say anything to the voting public to get reelected. And he'll tell you he supports help for people suffering mental illness, if that'll get a donation for his campaign, or uh, he's, he'll tell you he's empathic about people suffering serious mental illness. He'll say the things that people like me or public defenders want to hear. And, uh, and, uh, but then his actions, in fact, look at my t-shirt. Mike, you know, our, our routine. So can everybody see my T-shirt? You see, can you see it? And it's basically actions speak louder than words. So I'm not going to judge you by what you say. I'm going to judge you by what you do. And, and so I wrote Dan Satterberg. And, and I just said, I'm, I'm like, Dan, this guy, we know this guy in my office. We know this guy. We know less favors. There's no way he hijacked this guy out of $250 cash on a public bus. It just didn't happen. He was in our office 20, 30 minutes before this event even transpired. He was fine. He was focused on his education. He was just doing well. Uh, this is just not true. There's no way that he used a box cutter uh, to steal $250 from anybody on a, on a public bus. And, and, we, and I asked Dan to believe us um, and to, to, uh, work with us and the lawyer, the TDA assigned to get to have less treated fairly, which at the start included releasing him so he wouldn't miss any more classes and not holding him in the jail. And Daniel Satterberg, uh, I hope he listens to it. I've, I've tagged him on Facebook. He knows what this conversation is going to be about in this radio show. I um, he, he chose to believe the outrageous police report from, from Redmond Police. And, and Les stayed in, in the jail for months and months and months and months. And I think it was eight months before he was freed. And the way he was freed was I had the lawyers continuously trying to get this box cutter, you know, like with discovery, like, let's see this weapon, right? 
And the Redmond Police Department fought tooth and nails and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed, uh, coughing up this evidence, right, that held less in the King County Jail uh, for the better part of a year. And finally, the lawyer uh, got the supposed box cutter, right? And guess what? It was a fingernail clipper. I actually meant to bring my fingernail clipper in that you could go downstairs to, to Rite Aid or to Bartels and, and buy a fingernail clipper. If you can go to any drugstore, it's a fingernail clipper. You know, you do this, you can cut the hangnails off your finger. You can trim your, your toenails, fingernails. That's what it was. And for years, that hung on a thumbtack on the bulletin board. Keith used to keep his old mug shots on this bulletin board outside of my office, just to the left of Jenny's desk. Um, and I had this this fingernail clipper that we got from the Redmond Police Department um, hanging there just to remind people how outrageous law enforcement can be. But they but but once once the lawyer got his hands on this supposed deadly weapon box cutter, then then the felony case was was vaporized by Satterberg and his boards and um, um, and walk and less walk free that day. But, uh, you know, he was. But so, so again, you know, when he was arrested, any member of the voting public would have been that I that any in general, uh, most people of the voting public, most people in our civil society would have believed a oh, big black guy. That's all true. He's in jail. He must be. He must have done something wrong. And and um, and he hadn't. And, you know, we've got we're 25 minutes into this and I really want, I've got four more things I want to hit on. And I want Hannah and Keith to interrupt me. If You know, um, I'm going to quickly. Talk about the next one. This is sort of chronological order. So. Uh, well, I, I kind of want to intervene because I'm so like so torn down the middle um well not quite the middle but um because because so far everything you said the truth and tragedy and travesty and um and i know that for a fact and another part of me aside from any thought process it's just a natural uh intuitive thing inside myself is to understand that human beings make mistakes and i'm not talking about marcus and less right now i'm talking about every human being makes mistakes and in order for me to keep moving through my life i have to have a cer certain level of understanding on those things um and and give you know like the the blanket statements about people are just like they make me cringe inside because like I have seen that I've witnessed it firsthand with friends and, and family and other members of the program and seen the, the racism and the systemic brokenness of our system. But I've also seen, you know, law, law enforcement officers that were wonderful human beings. Like there was a person underneath that, you know, badge and, and like, um, and that I know, you know, like they're human beings and, they, and that, you know, they're sub subject to like all of the same strains and pressures and 
things that any other human being is subject to and uh, and biases and, and all of those things. Like, so I, I, I just wanted to interject this, like what I'm feeling right now, because it, it's, uh, it's a really huge conversation that we, we definitely can't even count, you know, we can't even cover it in, 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 in an hour, you know? Um, but I, I just, Go on, Ari. I just, I just. Well, no, I was, I was I thinking we should. I, at the beginning, I don't know if we let everybody know where you're sitting, but Keith is at the Olympia Police Department where he works. So this guy has been to prison six times, um, but then uh, became a student of ours and um, um, graduated Evergreen State College and and, and a few other colleges and. Um, uh, including Walla Walla Community College. Uh, I was at his graduations with Doris Buffett in, in the prison out at Connell. And um, um, he's sitting at the Olympia Police Department and he's working in this incredible program called Familiar Places. And you might want to talk about and where and I met his boss, his is his a lady. She and I and Keith had cherry pie at Wagner's in Olympia. <laughs> pre-COVID, if I remember right, and, 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 you know, so you might talk about what you do with familiar faces and how the Olympia Police Department is in Catholic Community Services have made that happen and what it does and how meaningful it is. And, and, and I mean, that just taglines, I mean, what you said just segues well, into yeah. that. You take a minute and talk yeah. about familiar faces if you would. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing program, right? So I, I think, that Olympia is on the, on the cutting edge of, of this understanding. It's, it's really like we're fielding calls and emails from other jurisdictions across the country that are catching on to this thing that law enforcement, um, isn't, you know, they're law enforcement. They're not social workers. They're not trained to respond to social issues like mental illness and substance use disorder. Uh, or try morbid issues or, or whatever the case may be. They're not trained for that. And they're catching on that, Hey, we need people with lived experience and training in these issues to respond, to be the first responder. Um, and, 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 and be back in the cut law enforcement's back in the cut to make sure, you know, that uh, safety issues, you know, but, but now we have a, a program called the Crisis Response Unit that, that's on police radio that responds uh, to these calls um, first uh, because law enforcement isn't uh, they're, they're not trained in that. That's not necessarily what law enforcement needs to be doing. But now there's a branch in Olympia in the Olympia Police Department that responds to these as first responders, um, which I mean. The impact of that, you know, is being seen and, and a lot of it is yet to be seen on how things are going to change across the country when this kind of thing happens, when, um, you know, people who are uh, responding to the, you know, disturbances in the community um, in Seattle, I'm sure you all have seen incidences of people that are struggling with mental illness um, that, quite frankly, can be scary to the general public. Um, they don't understand mental illness. Um, maybe they do. Maybe they have a, a, 
a, a cousin or a, a aunt or you know whatever that is is living with schizophrenia or uh, you know schizoaffective disorder or any of the plethora of different mental illnesses, so they have a little clue. But when that's in your alcove, when when you go to work in the morning, it's a little bit different of a story. And now um, they've got you know crisis trained individuals that are responding to those calls uh, instead of law enforcement, and that's kind of the gist and then familiar faces takes referrals from other agencies within the city, like the ambassadors and crew and, and um, to like, in effect, peer counsel, case manage, and, and just work with those individuals on a, uh, like a wraparound services kind of uh, situation. Um, and, and, you know, connect them to resources and spend time because, you know, Obviously, I have to, you know, I've known Ari for, I don't know, coming up on 11 or 12 years. And, and something happened when, when I met Ari um, and I got out of prison and, uh, you know, I was treated like uh, a human being instead of like a, a convict or a prisoner or um, a number. Uh, you know, he, he exposed me to some things that... Um, that I hadn't experienced, like, you know, crew, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the wind America races, somebody needs to call out Amara yeah, and, and get that fixed. And, um, in, in the opera and all of these pieces. Um, so, so I kind of use that experience, like the, the post-prison education program, uh, in RE, uh, cared about me, right? They cared about me when uh, they didn't have to, right? And that's a big piece. I always end up going back to that because um, that changed something internally uh, within me uh, that somebody who didn't have to, like my mom or, or you know, my, my family, like they, your family kind of has to love you. They're your family. But uh, here was this, this old curmudgeon and he cared about me and he started teaching me stuff um, and exposing me to different things and cultures and and all this stuff, and it changed. Something changed. So I, I brought that with me into um, the way that I work with people. Um, you know, I spend at, at least a few hours a week. Um, you know, three three to six hours a week with with my with my. I don't even like calling them clients because it's like kind of beyond that. Um, but out hiking around town, walking the parks, you know, uh, doing doing things. Uh, to build a relationship because this is a population that, that inherently doesn't trust, uh, systemic entities like, uh, pr service providers. It's, they've been failed n on numerous occasions by these same service providers. Um, so that just the initial, sometimes it takes six to 12 months, if, if at all, for me to gain enough trust with someone for them to be vulnerable with me to, you know, share their experiences and, and their, uh, all right. I'm going to jump in here. We're down to 25 minutes to go. But I, <laughs> I no, I mean, I, I there, you know, I think maybe if you Google Keith Whiteman, Olympia, uh, Catholic Community Services, uh, familiar faces, you'll see an evening news spot that Keith was in where he's out risking his life on the streets of Olympia in the middle of COVID working with people. Uh, on the payroll of the police department. So that is another side of what we're talking about. 
it certainly hasn't been the side that that I've encountered since 2005. What I've encountered is Marcus Taylor and Les Favors. And I want to talk about Gina McConnell now. Um, um, and then I want to hit Felice Cayo Jr. And then I want to talk about this, this assistant ter- ter- attorney general who I think uh, a, a psychiatrist told me a week ago, she thinks he, it sounds like he suffers from what's called little dick syndrome or maybe um, a, a more proper term is a little penis syndrome. You can Google it's actually a mental mental thing that arises out of self-esteem. And so people act like idiots. Napoleon, but, Napoleon complex. It's a little bit like that. Yeah. 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 And then so, but so, you know, so the university of Washington had a post-prison education program class in the winter quarter of 2012. And Jenna Melman and I selected the 10 of our students that would be in that class matched up with 30 honors program class students, all of whom were spectacular. And one of the people we put in there was Gina McConnell. And um, after we wrote the syllabus, it was really cool. Um, And we chose the lecture. So one week we focused on LFOs and we had Lisa Dugard talk. Um, and Larry Gossett back then, he was president of King County Council and Lisa was still with TDA as uh, I think then she was executive. I mean, was deputy director under Flores Mickelson. And so, so that week and that lecture was on LFOs, le- uh, legal financial obligations that former prisoners are saddled with by the courts. And, and after the lecture is over, then the class would adjourn if they wanted to, to one of the honors rooms. And sit down and they could have just this informal conversation with the lecturers and ask questions. And during this Q&A, Gina McConnell, I'll never forget, it was sitting in the back room, uh, in the back of the room. And she just quietly popped up and she, she, she said she, she said that Snohomish County Prosecuting Attorney's Office was trying to uh, have her arrested, to have her probation with the DOC violated for non-payment of LFOs that she had paid. You know, one 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 of the real horror stories of law enforcement. Um, this is where I want to use. I have so much trouble, Michael, not being able to use the F word. It's like uh, if I say it in Hebrew, then nobody knows what I've said. Can what can I do? <laughs> then the FCC won't swoop in and shoot you. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, you know, w- w- aside from what happens to Marcus and Les and other people, and uh, the the other aspect of what happens is this small nonprofit that's always underfunded um, has to spend money on lawyers to get things straightened out. So Gina popped up and she said that Snohomish County was trying to have her arrested, have her probation violated for non-payment of LFOs that she had paid. And I just said, see me after class. And the long and the short of it was, was uh, Gina was right. And again, I called Kim Gordon from Gordon and Saunders and, and, uh, and, and asked her to get involved. We spent $6,000 Proving, uh, which was a, I mean, Kim Gordon always discounted. I mean, it, it wasn't pro bono, it was low bono. That's what we called it. And, uh, so it's like instead of right now, she's probably, she's probably $600 an hour and worth 
every penny of it. But back then, I think she might have been 360 an hour. And, um, and, uh, and charging us 150 or so. So at that discounted rate, we spent $6,000 with Kim proving to, to the judge, the Superior Court judge in Snohomish that, uh, that, that Gina had paid these LFOs. And in fact, what she ended up proving was while Gina was locked up, uh, DOC sent the money for the LFO payments. She had six or seven LFO accounts. And by law, by law, I mean, heaven forbid that law enforcement would ever follow the law. I mean, that's it. what a concept that would be. You know, I mean, it's just like uh, right now we're in a battle trying to get the Department of Corrections to follow this new law, House Bill 1044, that Laurie Levitt uh, brought into existence. And, and, and they won't and don't and blatantly and flagrantly choose not to. Uh, but so but 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 by law, the clerk's office in Snohomish should have taken the money that was sent in from Gina through DOC and spread it out over those six or seven LFOs, but by choice, some hater in Snohomish County, put all the payments on one LFO and left the other six showing as unpaid. So that, that was, that was law enforcement doing that, I think maliciously. And then they turn around and they're trying to, and by, at that point she was going to school full time, straight A student, reunited with her daughter, working a full time job, just was doing stellar. I mean, just stellar. And, and if Snohomish had succeeded, then that all that would have been destroyed, just like Dan Satterberg and his cronies did with less favors or Snohomish and Pierce hand-in-hand did with Marcus. Everything that Gina had made, all the progress would have been destroyed. She would have lost her job. She would have lost at least a quarter at school. Probably if she got arrested by Snohomish, DOC would have violated her probation. And in in her hard-fought battle to reunite with her daughter, who was 13 at the time, that, that, that those custodial rights would have probably disintegrated. Her whole life would have been destroyed if we hadn't spent $6,000 with Kim Gordon. And and so Kim fought a battle against the Homish prosecuting attorney's office. There were multiple hearings. I remember being in the car with her going to one hearing after another. Don Wilchus, uh, I think at the time was running the post-prison education program. Don and I were with Kim and we go to this final hearing where Kim has proven to the court and, Time and time again, that the prosecutors are just straight up lying. Just I'm going to repeat that again. The prosecutors were straight up bald face lying and maliciously so. And they persisted with their lie and they persisted with their attempts to destroy this woman's life. And and and, and we finally ended up in I mean, hearings and hearings. And finally, the Superior Court judge um, made a decision and I loved it. I cried actually. And I think Dawn did too. So like at the hearing, the, at the end of the, the debacle, um, the judge commended Gina. He said he chewed out the prosecutor. He denied all of her motions through everything that the prosecutors were doing out, acknowledged that Gina had paid all those LFOs, that she had, was not in default status with any of them. And his verbatim, the judge said, well done, Miss McConnell. Well done. And, and Don 
Kim and uh, Gina and I scurried out of the courtroom and, and me in tears. But we spent $6,000 that could be better spent on tuition, books, clothing, groceries, housing. Well, we spent $6,000 fighting a battle against a hater prosecuting attorney's office. Uh, and, you know, Gina uh, went on to do extremely well um, after that and is doing extremely well now. But no thanks to law enforcement, only thanks to us hiring lawyers to fight law enforcement. And I want to talk about we we got like 15 minutes and I don't know how we're going to do this. Uh, um, but, you know. Um, as Keith knows, uh, a, a dear friend of, of mine, Samoan guy, Felici Cayo Jr., who's in Samoa now. Everybody knows him as June. Um, so close to Jenny, Dawn, me, I think Keith also. Um, and um, so he comes out of prison after his last time down was 13 years, and he had a language barrier. And um, because he's from Samoa. And, and, but he was at Bellevue College just doing spectacularly well. He worked in our office. He was going to college. He was just he was doing everything right. And one day he goes for his monthly check in with his probation officer in Tacoma and, and he got arrested. He got arrested on a on a uh, on a, uh, a parole violation from a case that was illegal out of Anchorage, Alaska, from, from a previous matter that was 10, 15 years old at that point. And the snow, I mean, the DOC's probation officer couldn't do anything about it. There was a warrant for his arrest out of the state of Alaska. Uh, and they put him on a plane. And before we could stop it, he was in jail in Anchorage for a parole violation. And again, I called Kim Gordon and Gordon and Saunders. And, and Kim spent three days investigating it. And then she called me up and she said, it's wrong. It's illegal. It shouldn't happen. He's done nothing wrong. Uh, and I and I my verbatim, I said, go to war. That's what I said to her. I'll never forget. I was like, go to war. And that that was me telling Kim, I don't care who you have to hire. Hire 62 law firms between here and Anchorage. I don't care what you got to do. Go to war. Get him home. And and uh, within six weeks, we had a letter of apology, just like the apology letter from the clerk of Superior Court and Pierce in, in Marcus Taylor's case, we have a, a letter of apology from the attorney general in the state of Alaska admitting that the parole violation that wrecked his life was wrong, you know, took him out of college, took him away from his nephews and nieces and his mom and his family and his loved ones and stopped all his progress, uh, disrupted his whole life that he was putting together. Um, the attorney general admitted that, that it was all wrong and they drove, they drove June to the airport, and uh, and then uh, J Jenna and, and Dolphy and I caught Link, and we went to the airport, and we stood there as June came off off the plane from Anchorage, and uh, watched his nephews and his brother and niece and family members and loved ones, you know, grab grab, the, grab him and hug him and love him. Um, and, and 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 but and I don't know how much of the 34,000 we spent with Kim Gordon 
um, was spent on that case, but I think it was around $5,000 that we shouldn't have had to spend to fix or attack or address or whatever, rebuff law enforcement acting illegally, destroying lives. Um, and so, so that's that's what we've seen. In one case, in, in, in uh, of the 14 that we involved, Gordon and Saunders, there was only one case where our student was, was in the wrong and law enforcement was right. 13 or 14 cases, law enforcement had acted horribly and frankly should have been prosecuted. And, you know, e- even today, you know, like, it, it can happen in other ways. We're down to 48:33, so I'm going to trap this. I'm going to, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beg Hannah to chime in. So, like, she's Hannah's the one that chases all the dollars that enable us to do what we do so well, uh, uh, and overcome deficits that are created by, you know, outrageous prosecutorial misconduct, police misconduct. But you know. Uh, Last year, I think it was, I got a call from this guy that uh, he's an assistant attorney general, works for Bob Ferguson, and he had a girl on the phone with him. And, and this is where, like, little dick syndrome comes in. This is what, you know, or little penis syndrome. I mean, this guy was trying to be like me, Tarzan, Eugene. He was obviously clearly trying to show off to this this junior lawyer that he had on the call. And he's like, I we checked. I found out. That you don't, you you know, you guys aren't tax exempt, um, and and, uh, and and you could just tell by the tone of his voice he was like in this show off mood. You know, I didn't know the guy, but he was just it was like you know Google little penis syndrome or maybe Keith talked about uh, Bonaparte, Napoleon complex. But it's that's what it is. You know, somebody with like low self esteem trying to be hey me macho man or whatever, and. Um, but he was clearly trying to show off to this young woman and that he had on the phone with him. He's like, well, you don't have your tax exempt status. And I said, you're wrong. And so we we had the letter, the letter of determination for uh, had just been updated by the IRS. It had been sent to Howard Donkin, our CPA at Jacobson Jarvis. And I had it in my outlook from from Howard Donkin. And so while during that conversation, I forwarded it to him. So then he's like. He's spluttering around on the phone with like, oh, what, 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 oh, uh, what, 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 and, you know, and he, he's, you know, maybe embarrassed or he can't show off in front of this girl he had on this junior attorney he had on the phone conversation anymore. Um, but, you know, he's gone on um, to act like a terrorist since, since then. It's like, so I don't know whether he thinks we humiliated him by proving him wrong in front of this girl or 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 what but he's like we you know we've got we've got threats from him uh uh he writes letters asking questions and it's just like um it's kind of like little dick syndrome gone wild and i've actually talked to a psychiatrist about it and i didn't know that term but she suggested it um and a a, and a partner in a very big law firm here in town has described this guy as a raw a rogue assistant attorney general. But, um, you know, I, a big part of my time for the last year has been contending with with uh, this guy who represents law enforcement acting as a terrorist against a nonprofit uh, that's done nothing but good for, for 16 years uh, along the lines of what we've discussed. And so that's another form this can take. It's just like um, 
And then, and then the overriding problem that Hannah has to deal with daily is, is offsetting the fact that in 2019, we couldn't grant right because our tax exempt status was suspended. And that was due to an IRS error. That was, you know, and I think we discussed it on this program before. It was, a, you know, the IRS uh, contacted our CPA at the time, Bader Martin, and it was like, they claimed that we hadn't filed a 941 four years earlier, which had been filed by paychecks. And we paid $22,000 to Bader Martin, proven to the IRS that it had been filed. And all the while, the IRS says, well, we're going to assess your, we're going to levy your accounts for $60,000, real number, $60,000. Um, and if you, if you don't give us $60,000 and if you don't file this report that we had filed four years early, blah, 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 then we're going to levy your accounts or, uh, for 60 grand and da, 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 da. And so we, you know, the night before they were going to levy, in our accounts or lean our account for $60,000. They called Stephanie Ritchie at Bader Martin up and they found the report that we had filed in a timely fashion four years earlier. And they found it back on the back on the, on the back on the East coast. Um, and they admitted that they were wrong. And then the 60,000 wasn't leaned against our account, but we spent $22,000 with a big CPA firm proving to government that they were wrong. And so it's just, you know, and, and uh, whether it's our students living their lot, losing their life or their freedom or or us fighting battles, we should never have to fight. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not too impressed with government or law enforcement. Hannah, we got we're at fifty three forty two. You got to kick in here, please. Um, I guess the one thing I'll say is, uh, you know, these incidents that Ari has discussed are not not isolated, like they're part of, you know, there are clear statistics that misconduct occurs at a pretty high rate. And I think going back to something that that Keith said about, you know, it, it's hard to reconcile, especially for someone who, you know, works in a police department and knows people individually and people make mistakes. I think the fact that these issues come up at the rate that they do speaks to a systemic issue as opposed to every individual actor involved. Like it's not the case that every prosecutor, every policeman is just a bad actor. Like there's clearly some systemic issue that's contributing to this. And when I say systemic, I don't mean every individual within the system has a problem. I mean, there's something about the procedures or lack thereof that are in place that allow things like this to occur. And and sure, certain bad actors contribute to that, but I don't think, I think we need to look at the foundation on which certain systems are built as opposed to the people that are currently working within them. So that's my two cents that I wanted to add. You know what, you know, Hannah and I and Emma Hogan um, and others in our office have been for months in something of a war with the Department of Corrections, much to my surprise. I mean, because the person who was just appointed as secretary, I've considered as a friend and I've considered Cheryl Strange not only to be a friend, somebody I've known her for years. And I, w- and I would think that she would never allow what's going on to go on, but it is. And what's, what's going on is, as we discussed on, on, I think the last radio show, 
is is that the Department of Corrections intentionally, purposefully is blocking prisoners from programming. So with front facing the public, they, you know, the DOC will tell legislators and the governor and anybody that'll listen or read their website. Oh, it's like we're this wonderful agency helping people rebuild their lives and rehabilitate and, and change from criminal behavior to doing good things. And in reality, uh, again, my James Baldwin T-shirt action speaks louder than, than words. You know, I, I can't believe what you're saying because I see what you're doing. Uh, in reality, and they've admitted it, they're absolutely blocking prisoners from programming. So you can't program in order to put yourself in a position to do well. You can't get into an educational class. And what makes it even more flagrant than ever is Mari Levitt, uh, a member of the House of Representatives, passed a bill, House Bill 1044, um, and uh, the League of uh, I don't know what the League of Education voters, but the uh, uh, what's Jess and, and Melissa's organization, Hannah? Uh, let me look real quick so I don't mix it up with like the League of Education voters. But they they worked with with uh, with the legislature to uh, get House Bill 1044 passed and. Uh, and what that does is it it basically requires that the DOC, so it's the League of Women Voters of Washington that I'm talking about and thinking about. And so uh, Mari's bill, 1044, uh, made it possible and made it law for the DOC to have people with long sentences be able to program. But the DOC is ignoring that law that's been signed into law by the governor and not letting these men and women program, not allowing them into educational classes. So it's just like a, it's another way this, uh, where you see law enforcement not obeying law. You know, in 2007, the first real major battle, policy battle I had with DOC was they had 1,200 fathers or, or prisoners in out-of-state for-profit prisons, and their their own policies was that they couldn't ship parents to out-of-state prisons, but they had done it. They had prisoners in Arizona, Minnesota, and Oklahoma, despite their policy. And we went to war, and we got the legislature involved, and 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 and, and we finally stopped it. But it was a, it was mind-boggling to me that we had to fight to get the DOC to obey their own rules and regulations. It's just it, the whole. It's 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 like I think what. Hannah was saying was it? I mean, it's systemic. It's the systems, and not so much the people, but it's also the people. You know, you studied that in college, and you wrote a paper on it. Hannah, like, what's the answer? There is no obvious answer. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed. Yeah. So it's just, I'm just gonna. Hold up Marcus's program thing again and, and invite you all to go to my Facebook page and you'll see 12 photos of him with his daughter and then his daughter in the funeral chapel. Uh, it's heartbreaking. And I think it needs to stop. It needs to stop. And I don't know. So we'll end this in memory of Marcus Taylor and Les Favors, who's still alive and well. Marcus is not. June out in Samoa and all that Alaska did to him and Gina, all that Snohomish did to her. 
and hope that it stops. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next month.